Uh, as we take our, off- our offering this morning, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Could everybody stand with me for a second? Just, I'll, you get to sit back down on the cushy black chairs in just a moment. But uh, uh, this has been a common practice in many environments here in our country over the years. You probably learned this as a grade school kid. Will you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag with me? Are you ready? We're going to throw it up here on the screens. Here we go. Is everybody ready? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you very much, and have a seat. Yeah, play ball? I don't know, yeah. I guess play ball is after the anthem, right? That's when you have to say play ball. Who learned that as a kid? Anybody learn that as a kid? Anybody have any problems saying that? Those of us who grew up in America, probably not. It was hammered into us. It, it started every day. I think it still does in our schools today. It starts every day. You knew you were late if you walked in during the Pledge of Allegiance. It's an important thing to have pledges like these, these, these groupings of words that remind us nationally of who we are. We are committed certainly to our flag and what it stands for, but to our republic, uh, to the things that we hold dear in our freedoms as Americans. Everybody with me on this? Oh, I'm preaching to the crowd. We here in the church, we're Christians first, we're Americans second. Let's make sure we're clear on that order, okay? But we here in the church, we, we've, uh, we've got similar statements that help us understand who we are. In fact, historically, these were super uh, necessary in the church because uh, back in the first centuries of the church, as it was just beginning to take root in the Holy Roman Empire, uh, there weren't books, there wasn't literacy for the most part, and so if you wanted people to understand what it is that they believed, you had to kind of group our beliefs in a, in a what was called a creed, and, and you would have them say those creeds on the regular so that, like our Pledge of Allegiance, it was just what they knew. Didn't have to think about it. Today we're going to start a series on uh, what I'm calling the majors. It's just another way of uh, phrasing uh, uh, what we find in, in many of these creeds. We could study a bunch of different creeds, but we're going to take one principally. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Everybody say Apostles' Creed. Now, some of you have never heard of the Apostles' Creed, and you're not sure what the guy who Rocky beat in Rocky II is doing in a church. It's not funny if you didn't grow up watching Rocky movies, but the, the guy Rocky fought was Apollo Creed. Three of you laughed. Thank you. That's the last time I'll tell that joke. Okay. Uh, but some of you, and as soon as I said Apostles' Creed, your, your antenna went, boom, because you grew up in the Catholic Church or some of the mainline denominations, and you know the creeds. And you could pop them off just like the Pledge of Allegiance. You said them that much. Maybe some of you are like the, uh, the young lady who came up to me last night after we started this series on Saturday. and um, She kind of had tears in her eyes. It's not that kind of sermon today. I mean, if you cry, that's fine. That's, you know, that's not, what I'm, <laughs> it's not where we're trying to. But she came up and she's kind of weeping. I was like, are you okay? What's going on? She says, you know what? Grew up in a Catholic church. Know that thing line for line. Never knew anything of what I was saying when I said it. And it wasn't until tonight, that, as we even started with the first few lines, that I started really breaking down the things that I had always said. So if that's how this is going to fall out for some of you, great. Some of you are like, what's a creed? I don't know what a creed is. You've grown up in a more modern expression of church, and they just haven't been emphasized. That's fine. We're going to talk about ours today, this, this Apostles' Creed. It's one of many, written in uh, AD 390 at a council in a place called Milan by a guy named St. Ambrose. That's who it's attributed to. But in it, the early church had for itself its majors. Here's what we believe. I'm excited to talk to you about it. There's a few resources. 
And if you want to grab some of these uh, at the Amazon bookstore or uh, at the Christian bookstores, one's called The Apostles' Creed. It's by a guy named Matt Chandler. It's a study guide. And you can kind of walk through that with us, uh, borrowed liberally, liberally from him. There's also an even shorter book. Who likes the short books? This one is built to fit right on the back of your toilet. It fits right there. Anyway, uh, sorry. I'm getting tired. All right. Uh, but it's called uh, aptly The Apostles' Creed. It's written by a guy named Ben Myers and just some great uh, insights in it, uh, things that you can read along with me if you'd like. Now, the Apostles' Creed, as I said, was so important to the early church that they memorized it. In fact, it was a huge part of their baptisms. Uh, in early churches, when you got baptized, the guys would go with the guys, the girls would go with the girls in a different part of the river, and you would strip down to your nothing. As you entered the water, uh, that's how you were to enter, like you, you were being born again, and you came with nothing at your birth, here at your spiritual birth, uh, the, the, the nothingness represented that nothing. You would walk into the water, and like we do, someone would be there to baptize you. But the way it would work is that you would be dunked not once, not twice, but three times. And on each successive dunk, you would come up from the water, up from this spiritual death that was your sin into this spiritual life that you had because of your faith in Christ. And you would say portions of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, first time. Second time up, I believe in Christ his son and the things that follow. Third time, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the church and the forgiveness of sins. You would quote the Apostles' Creed as your confession of faith. Then you would be wrapped in a white robe. I think I like that part because it's this sign of your newness in Christ. And you would be ushered uh, with the others who are baptized into the fellowship of the body believers that you are joining as a, as a, as a newfound follower of Jesus Christ. Um, we're not gonna switch our baptism to that. Is everybody okay with it? We don't do that. We're gonna keep our clothes on when we get baptized. But uh, a huge form formative piece of the early church. Uh, as we get talking about it, we're gonna find for ourselves these majors that our faith is meant to be built on. So I'm gonna give you some creed, credos. Creed, someone asked me after the service. I don't wanna take for granted that everybody knows what creed means. It just means belief. And a credo is a belief that you have about the creed, this, this grouping of beliefs. Um, uh, first thing that we believe about the creed, the Apostles' Creed and all the other creeds, is that they're not the Bible. Can everybody make sure that we're not putting, so some churches have put you know, later writings in the church on par with the scriptures, and that's always a dangerous thing. Okay? Um, we see the creeds as reflections of the Bible. In fact, I, I'd put it to you this way, Chandler does it this way, he says, uh, the creeds are like the moon. Uh, when you look up in a night sky at a full moon, it looks pretty bright. Sometimes you can even see your way around your backyard just from what's reflecting off that moon. But that's what it is. It's a reflection. The moon's just a big dust rock up there, right? And it's positioned in such a way that where we can't see the sun at nighttime as our earth spins, we can see the moon and the reflection of the sun as it bounces off of that thing and dimly lights our world. Is everybody with me on that? So the creeds, they're not the sun, God in his word. That's our sun. That's the light that we peer into for our truth, but the, the creeds kind of reflect those truths to us and, and group them in such a way that we can see them all in a collection. The second thing we need to know about the creeds is uh, their purposes. The first one, uh, the creeds were written back when they were written to correct errors. If you study any of, a, of our church histories, uh, you'll see that there were um, rampant false ideas in all phases of the church's development. Like you read the, the New Testament, 
You know, lots of the letters written there are in uh, refutations. They are contradictions or, or corrections of the things that were being promulgated in those churches. Lots of bad ideas, bad theology. And so Paul and Peter, they would, they would write these like, guys, this is it. It's not that, it's this. And, and, and we get back on course. Well, that continued into the first centuries of the church. Uh, lots of false ideas about God and his nature, his triune nature, his, um, his, 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 his how, he, how he works in the world. There's all these heresies is what they're called. And so the, 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 the church fathers, the church leaders, as they studied the scriptures, would get together and they'd say, okay, here's what we need them to know. And they'd collect it in these things called the creeds. And those creeds would com- combat the errors that had arisen in the heresies of the day. We have the same needs today, don't we? Uh, we live in an age where truth is relative. So we're already kind of swimming upstream. Like everybody's idea of who God is and what he should be like or how he should funkin, function, function? Um, um, we just take it as our own and then, and then we put it on Facebook and we get, you know, see if people put their thumbs up, right? Thumbs up, crazy man. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but, but it's just the, the world is rife. All kinds of options available to us uh, that can lead us away from the truth that God would have us stick to. Uh, the creeds are kind of like Google when it comes to disagreeing over lyrics of a song you listened to growing up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, Eleanor and I will sometimes start singing a song that's on the radio and either she or I will be like way off from what the lyrics were and the other one will be like, what'd you just say? And we'll be like, well, you know, Genesis, invisible attraction. No, that's not what it is, babe, it's invisible touch. Are you sure? And then we get to go to where? The Google, right? The almighty Google in the sky. And we get to be corrected. That's, that's what the creeds would do. Where we got off, we could get back on and know the truth. Now, the second thing that the creeds are for is to make sure we stay focused on the main things and don't get off into the weeds of the minor issues that often divide us as the uh, church universal. Has anybody notice that there's a lot of churches there's a ton of churches. And there's a ton of churches because somewhere, someone kind of turned a little bit this way in this particular issue or kind of headed a little bit this way in another issue. And, and so those became the bigger issues than the, than the main things of our faith. And, and we wanted to kind of collect ourselves around our styles or our preferences. And, 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 and we made different boxes and we went to those on Sundays instead of the ones we used to go to, right? Anybody here go to a church before this one? Of course you did. And it's not that those were bad and we're good and we're bad or they're good. We're different, right? And that's fine. Is everybody okay with us having differences, minor differences? Yeah, absolutely. But when those minor differences become elevated to major level, well, then we got problems. And so we got to go back to what the majors are so that we don't divide over things uh, that are minors instead. I like to think of the majors or, or the things that the church is, is meant to be about as like a pizza, follow me. <clears throat> pizza has some basic ingredients. You got the dough, right? You got the sauce, whatever that is. You got the cheese, maybe some toppings. I mean, there's some basic fundamentals to pizza. But wherever you go in the world, people have taken pizza and made it their own. Somewhere, some jabroni decided to put pineapple on a pizza. That's just wrong. Let's just agree. Maybe we can't. That's where we differ. But they, but the, you know, in, in Chicago, they make pizzas this thick. They're like bricks, right? 
In New York, they stretch it thin like it's, you know, you could read the paper through it. I mean, uh, some people like, uh, you know, small personal sized pizzas. Some people like, you know, the big mega, you know, slices and pizzas as big as a tire truck, you know, truck tire or whatever, tire truck, anyway. we, we, have, we have different opinions about pizza, but the bottom line in pizza is dough, sauce, cheese, and some toppings, right? The bottom line in the Christian faith are the things that we're going to see revealed here in the Apostles' Creed, the majors that we need to rally around. Different worship styles, different preferences. I met a, a dear couple uh, just recently um, who uh, came and talked to me after coming here for the first time and and, and they dress a little bit differently than most of us do, you know? Most of us didn't put socks on today, right? What's up, Glenn? How's it going? Uh, uh, <laughs> but Glenn's comfortable, right? And, and we, I, I, I told him, I said, hey, listen, you know, next time you come, if you don't want to, you know, get us dressed. They said, oh, no, I appreciate that. But, this, you know, we just feel like this is how we should come to church. And here's the deal. That's totally fine. Wear five ties. I don't care. Right? Do whatever you want because that's a minor issue. I'm not going to fuss out about that. I grew up in a church that did. Because if you didn't wear the right clothes, somehow, you know, God wasn't going to accept you when you got to heaven. If your hair was too long, you were in sin. Whoa, 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 whoa. Put your finger on that in the book. That's not in there, it's what man does. When man adds these minor issues, which are fine, but elevates them to major status. The creeds help us stop that. Keep the majors, the majors. Now, the creeds not only correct our errors, but they rightly form us in the things that we're meant to believe. They keep us between the lines, on the rails, right? They help us understand that people who disagree with us in in lots of different areas are still brothers and sisters. Everybody gets that, right? Like when you and I get to heaven, I hope you're not looking around being like, really, they got in? How's this possible? Because they worship different than us or, or they believe differently in this area than us. Or they, how is it possible that we're all gathered here at the, at the, at the throne judgment of Christ? How is it possible that we're all getting in? We're all gaining accents. Well, it's, it's because we all believed the right things about the right things. And that's what unites us in Christ. So, Can I get you to stand one more time? Doesn't matter, you're going to, please stand with me. As we say one more pledge, this is one of the pledges that the early church made to their father. Here we go, the Apostles' Creed. Everybody ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended to hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from which he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's what we believe. Have a seat. Some of you are like, wait a minute, Catholic, hang on. <laughs> Catholic just means universal, all right? Doesn't mean the denomination or the strand that is Roman Catholic. We'll, we'll talk about, just keep coming. We'll talk about all of it, all right? 
Just keep hanging out. Let's talk. We're going to walk line, line by line through this and go to God's word and helping us understand what the, the original church fathers intended with each phrase written in this creed so that we can know our majors. I'm going to start with that first line. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I'm going to start with those first words. I believe in the gateway to the creed, belief. These are the things that we believe. But if you're here last week, a lot of times we kind of um, fail to understand how belief is meant to work. What is the biblical understanding of faith? We need to understand that before we can move forward with the other things that we believe. Certainly the biblical idea of belief starts with correct information, right? We've we got to have the right ideas, the right truths uh, in our minds. But it moves quickly from just a, a collection of, of, of facts or truths to, to becoming a faith that's all in. I want to help us understand that this morning. Uh, facts are easy to kind of collect and, 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 and understand, right? Like that's why we went to school. Some of you went to algebra the first day and you saw, you know, uh, numbers with letters and you're like, well, this is new, right? Uh, and maybe the first few months of algebra you needed help, but eventually your brain clicked and you understood that A plus B equals C and and you could roll with that, right? Well, your brains are functioning that way. You're, you're sitting to me right now, and every one of you are computing. Even as I talk to you, you're like, oh, I, I, get, well, I don't know what he meant by that, but I get that, right? Our brains are necessary in this process. But our brains aren't where our faiths live. It's where they start, it's not where they find their homes, though. Because a lot of people can have the facts about the faith and choose them not. I was sitting at a uh, a restaurant recently having breakfast, and it was kind of a, an empty restaurant, quieter, no music in the background. And uh, uh, a lady and her couple friend, uh, another uh, woman and his, her, I guess her husband, uh, they sat down in the booth just across the aisle from me, and they started talking loudly. Has anybody been in this restaurant where one person, I'm sure when my family goes anywhere, this happens if you're sitting near us. But like, uh, some people are just loud talkers. And this lady, it was just, I was, I was in the conversation, even though I was trying to mind my own business. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So they start in and they've ordered their, their breakfasts and, and, and it becomes very evident that the lady who is by herself is, is, is speaking to this couple, friends of hers, I'm assuming, uh, about God, about faith and church and her church. And, and, you know, she's not full on witnessing to them, but she's just talking about, you know, this is what you need. And that, you know, as you go through these situations in life, you know, I'm so grateful I have God, you should have him too. And the couple is sitting across from her, and they start saying, listen, you know we came up with you. You know we went to the same churches. You know all these things. But our experience has been that that hasn't worked, and so we are no longer where you are. We are where we are, which is not with God. And they had a very candid conversation. She on the one side trying to convince, they on the other side saying, thanks, no thanks. Both same fact sets, right? It wasn't a matter of ignorance. They knew what they were talking about, just one chose, the other did not. Happens all the time in church, where people grow up knowing the faith, but they don't believe what they know. This is a problem. That's why Paul, when he explains the gospel uh, in his letter to the Romans, uh, uses some different words to kind of connote where knowledge is supposed to you know, turn into belief and faith. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He, he, he talks about belief or faith in terms of two things, belief and confession. Now, before we go on to talk about those a little bit more, let's just figure out from this verse the things that we need to believe in. We need to believe that Jesus is Lord. Everybody see that? Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our hearts that he, you know, God raised him from the dead. This, this is the gospel. Our, our gospel, if you're kind of new to the Christian thing, is not rooted in a bunch of acts. It's not like a bunch of feasts or um, fasts. It's not a bunch of hoops you got to jump through. You don't have to travel to a certain part of the world and walk around a building, you know, six or seven times. Um, uh, those, those are religions that are rooted in works. Ours is rooted in faith. We are not uh, a go-do religion. We are accept what's been done religion. And I won't even call us religion. We're, we're a faith that, that leads to a relationship. What do we need to believe? We need to believe that Jesus is Lord. That carries at least two ideas with it. First of all, that Jesus is God. It says this in lots of other places in the scripture. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Jesus was God. It, we need to believe that Jesus is and was God when he died for us on the cross. We need to believe that he's not just Lord in terms of being God, he's also Lord in terms of being boss. He's in charge. Unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord. He's the boss. That's how the angels heralded Christ's arrival. So many people, when they uh, initially hear the story of the gospel, they're like, wait a minute, I can get my sins forgiven? I could spend eternity in heaven with God instead of eternity without him in hell? Oh, I'm in. What do I got to do? Well, you just have to believe. You're kidding. I don't have to like do anything. I just have to believe. What do I got to believe? Well, you got to believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and that he saved you from your sins. And then sometimes we leave out this part that Paul emphasizes. You got to believe that Jesus is Lord. You got to make him Lord. So you receive from him what he freely gives by grace to you, but you submit to him your life and surrender everything that you are to follow him. You have to believe that, secondly, uh, God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And consequently, he has the power to raise you from the dead. So when all of your sins and my sins went on Christ, spiritually speaking, death visited Christ and he not only physically died, but he took spiritual death upon himself. He imputed, or we imputed our sins onto him. But then in his resurrection, spiritually speaking, God took Jesus from that death and from the penalties of those sins and rose him spiritually to new life. In the same way that he rolled the stone away, we'll celebrate it in a few weeks, he rolled the stone away and he raised Jesus to a physical life, right? That's the gospel. We don't have to work off our sins or atone somehow for our own sins. We believe in the atonement that Jesus gave us on the cross and that God raised him and us from spiritual death, and he will, as he raised Jesus, raise us from physical death. That's our gospel, right? But you gotta believe it. In verse 10, it says this. It says, for with the heart, one believes and justifies. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. There's no mention of the head there, right? We've gone past the head. Your mind is where the information lives, but Biblical belief goes from taking what was in your minds and deducing uh, your convictions in your heart and with your hearts you believe and with your mouths, it says, you confess. Information, 
becomes conviction. Even if the rest of the world thinks you're crazy for believing it, you, because of your heart, because of your loves, because of your affections, choose to go against the grain, against what everybody else might be saying, and you take the information, and where other people reject it, you receive it, and it becomes your conviction. I was nine years old when I started uh, paying attention to sports. I uh, moved shortly after that in the fourth grade. At the end of my fourth grade to Boston, Massachusetts, I started watching the Boston Red Sox play baseball. Um, People told me at that time, even though the fan base was rabid there in that region, that Boston was not a safe bet. If you know anything about baseball and its history, Boston at this time, when I was a a nine-year-old, had had lost 60 straight World, well, not lost. They, were, they didn't even make <laughs> 60 uh, straight World Series. They, they hardly ever went to the finals to play for a championship. They were a perennial loser, and they failed in epic ways, right? But even with those warnings, you might want to root for the Yankees. They're a safe bet. I still, my heart was turned by the hours of watching Saturday afternoon baseball games. I, uh, I, I, I turned my affections towards this team. And so even as they constantly disappointed me over and over again for the next 25 years, year 26, we won. But my information got to my heart. And even though a lot of the world said, this is a waste of time, don't root for them, my heart still chose. And my convictions were sealed. But let me go uh, even a little bit further. Uh, just because it moves from your head to your heart and your belief becomes a conviction, there still needs to be this active side, not something on the front side of faith. Uh, we believe we have uh, been saved by faith and without works. But as we talked last week, there, there needs to be something in your faith that shows up in how you live and the things that you choose to do that evidences that that faith is actually real. So it goes from information to just conviction and then from conviction to uh, a confession of your mouth, as it says here in Romans, it, it, to, to, the, to the actions and the choices of your life, as it says in other parts of our scripture. That's how you know you believe. It shows up in how you live, right? It's one of my favorite stories. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me tell it before, but it's still such a cool story. In the early 1900s, Niagara Falls was kind of like the wild, wild west. Anybody could do anything. People were getting into barrels and just flying over the top of these things. Some lived, some didn't, but there was no regulations. No, nobody was in the government saying, that's not a good idea. And so this one guy comes from, from France. His name's Charles Blondet. And uh, I don't know if that's how he say it, but it sounded Frencher that way. Anyway, uh, but he stretches this rope all, all the way across on the, uh, the American side of the falls. And uh, it's 1,100 feet long. And he starts tightroping across Niagara Falls on this rope. It's crazy. And people, this is before the internet, before cable, before movie theaters, they are showing up by the hundreds, if not the thousands, to stand on the shores and watch this dude defy death and walk across these falls. Well, as his fame grew, he he wanted to kind of add to the act, and so he'd start carrying things across the falls. Uh, One day he decided, you know what, Let's, let's make this a duo. He got himself a wheelbarrow. He took the front wheel off. He just had the little, you know, uh, rim. And he set that rim on the, and he, he just started walking this wheelbarrow across the falls. He gets to all the way to the other side, and the crowd that's gathered there to watch his arrival, just, oh, it's amazing. And so he stands up, and he says, I'm going to go back. How many people 
think that I could go back with the same wheelbarrow, but wheel someone in the barrel with me. How many people think I could do that? And these people, having watched him just walk across, were all like, yes! Oh, Blondin, you can totally do this. And then you're seeing it coming, right? He says, who will be that person? Don't miss the, the dynamic of that contrast. In one moment, yes, my convictions tell me, my beliefs dictate that you could do this. How about you? Now, he had a plant. Someone he knew, one of his assistants, was in that crowd. They stepped forward, said, I'll go. And he jumps in the wheelbarrow, and Blondin makes it successfully across, became a huge part of his act. But the story goes, I don't know if it's true, it's the internet. The story goes, every time you do that, how many believe? Who will go? No one ever volunteered, apart from the dude that was in his show. I think God looks down at his church and he sees his faithful. And in different parts of life, he says, how many believe? And we sing the songs with our hearts and we we stand up and clap, and, and we, our convictions are strong. But then he says, all right, who's going to go with me in this high risk? You might not make it back. It's going to cost you everything venture. Who's going? And that's where our faith is proven in those moments. Hmm. Yeah, there's way too many people who claim to have faith because they have a, a knowledge set of the faith, but they never get around to confessing their faith or owning their faith uh, in ways that are all in, that, that alter their decisions in life and affect their, their approaches to life. They tap out when things get hard. They're like the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13 about these soils. A guy goes out and sows seed in his field and the seeds fall on different kinds of soils. The first three soils, uh, one's rocky and it's hard for the the seed to go all the way down and so it springs up uh, immediately but then dies because its root system can't take root. There's another soil, it's like hard pan. The the seed doesn't even go in and there's no beginning even in that one. There's another soil where there's a season of success, there's a season uh, but over time the sun beats down on it and, and because its root system hasn't gone deep enough, it eventually takes longer, but it eventually taps out and no longer grows. And then uh, the the parable goes on that Jesus says, hey, and then there's the fourth soil. There's the soil where the good news, as the seed is representative of, uh, takes deep root in the lives of that person. And that that life grows. It grows so much that it it, it brings forth an increase at 30 and 60 and 100 times what it was in the beginning. It's a uh, a picture of a, a disciple who becomes a disciple maker and makes disciples who makes disciples like we say we want to do around here. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens because someone truly by faith, the way the Bible describes it, goes all in with Jesus. And that becomes the focus of their lives, not just something that we do on Sundays or something that we grew up in culturally. Or It's, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's what we are in Christ. So this gives me pause, and I don't mean to rock anybody's world here, but like when we teach people to say the, the sinner's prayer when they start their, their faith relationship with Jesus Christ, entirely appropriate. 
Absolutely. I believe every faith relationship uh, starts with us understanding the gospel, and then as it says here in Romans 10, confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead. It's, it's by um, our, our confessions that we are saved, right? But how many times have people said things and not meant it? Like daily? Do I look fat in this? No. <laughs> That's not a good one. Get in a fight with your spouse. They tell you, honey, I'm sorry, I love you. You're still mad. I love you too. Didn't mean a word of it. Maybe that was the guy over there. <laughs> you come to times when it's time to pray. Maybe like uh, the times where you grow up in the church, it was time to say the creeds. And your brain just kicks in and it's rote. Blah, 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 like you're hungry. So we're, we're doing the quick prayer now, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. But you don't mean any of it. You're just doing what you're supposed to. Here's what I'm saying. Certainly it's possible that people hear the gospel and get excited about it, but like the three soils, they, they say some words, but it, it's not really representative of any actual change in their hearts. And so what looks like the beginning of a new life in Christ isn't a new life at all. Are you with me? It's so important that as we share the gospel and as we consider, if we're sitting here this morning, taking on the gospel and becoming followers ourselves, that we say things that we mean and we go all in. That's what belief uh, is all about as it's described in Scripture. There's lots of people who may say the right things but not believe the right things. There's lots of people who are doing the right things. They're active and, and they look moral, but again, they just haven't engaged with Jesus on the faith level that he hopes for us to engage with him in. Uh, in those situations, uh, what I challenge people to do is what the psalmist challenged his readers to do in Psalm 34. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Lots of times we have, you know, it'll come to our attention that maybe we, we've been kind of functioning, you know, in this orbit of Christ, but we haven't really landed on him. We've, we've been knowledgeable of who he is, but we haven't choose, chosen him. And so we think, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm gonna go all in with Jesus. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to let him dictate my life. He's going to be my Lord. But then we say, but wait a minute. If I do that, I might lose out on this. I might miss out on this. And, and so we wonder, is it really worth it? And what the scripture says in those moments to us as we get to those crises of faith, it says, yeah, it is. Trust me. Go. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We get that. Anybody ever been told to go to a restaurant and try a certain dish? You got to try you know, this lasagna at this Italian restaurant. In fact, I'm so convinced that you're gonna love this. Let me send you the directions to the, re to the restaurant. I'll just type that out to you on your phone. And, and then, uh, you know, just so you can kinda, you know, don't just believe me, here's the Yelp reviews, here's all the other people who are talking about this lasagna. Here's a picture of it, right? I mean, we've got all this information available to us in a second in the world that we live in, but here's the deal. I can't say for sure that a lasagna's good until I drive to where they sent me and I sit down at the table and I order it and I stick a fork in it and I taste and I see that the lasagna is good. 
The same thing with faith. So many people are like, yeah, I know I should probably go all in. Yeah, I should trust God in this situation. Yeah, I should believe beyond just knowing and having some convictions. I should, I should get in the wheelbarrow. We're just like, I don't know. And I implore you today, taste and see that the Lord is good. St. Augustine, not the place we visit on our West Coast, the actual guy. He said, if you can't understand, believe. And then you'll understand. Anybody seen that happen in your Christ life? I can't understand. Well, just trust me. Oh, now I understand. Now, as we go through, uh, I took a long time on belief there because that's important. Everything else flows from that. As we go through the rest of the creeds, we're just going to walk line through line uh, into the things that we believe in. The first thing that we believe in there is that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and of earth. Now, we know that God is our Father in lots of different places. Jesus actually calls him not just his Father, but our Father as he resurrects from the grave in John chapter 20, verse 17. He's come out, he's met uh, you know, uh, Mary uh, Magdalene, and he's talking to her and he's saying, hey, listen, uh, don't cling to me for I have not yet even ascended to the Father. Uh, there's other things for me to do, but go to my brothers wherever they're hiding and say to them uh, uh, that I am ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my Father. Everybody see that? And to whose Father? Your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, we have been by Christ, the actual Son of God, conferred sonship, daughtership with him, and God is now our Father. He's our Father Almighty. When he teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he tells them, listen, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even in those first introductory lines to this prayer, he's saying a ton. He's saying, listen, when you pray to God, pray to him as your father. Uh, recognize his holiness, hallow his name. See him as the all-powerful God that he is. But then later in his descriptions of his father, he puts this word in, a word we wouldn't expect. It's not he, uh, the Greek as we normally have written in our New Testaments. It's Aramaic. He says, Abba. He addresses God the Father in the garden before he's crucified as Abba Father. And then from that proceeds his prayer. Now, Abba was this Aramaic word that was like a, a sentimental, a, a, a loving word for a father. It's like, it's like our kids call us da-da. It's one of the first things they can make their mouths do, da-da, mama, right? In Aramaic, it was Abba. And so Jesus calls his father Abba. And so you have this juxtaposition of this hallowed and holy and powerful, almighty God, right? Uh, wrapped in this loving and nurturing Abba Father. I remember the first time uh, I, I went to a friend's house. I went to a school in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. And um, the, the president of that school is a guy named Joseph Stoll. And he back then, still is probably, I haven't seen him lately, but he was just put together. Sharp guy, uh, preached like, you know, nobody's business. Uh, just, you know, was a man's man in control, just intimidating. One of those guys that when you meet him, you're like, oh, hi, Dr. Stoll, how you doing? I got to know his son, and one weekend his son Joe took me to his house. And that Saturday morning I woke up and I sat down at the breakfast nook in this house with Dr. Joe Stoll. Dr. Joe Stoll was wearing his pajamas with a house coat, and his hair looked like this, and he had cereal milk on his lip as he dribbled his Cheerios over his face, 
and laughed hysterically at the jokes that he and I and uh, his son and, and our other friends were joking with. And I had this like moment, right? Because here he was, this put together leader of the you know, Christian university I went to, and here he was, just another dork like me, making jokes on Saturday morning. Now I understood from that that God is personal in the same way that Joe's dad was personal. But he's, he's powerful, he's holy. He's not, some of us haven't understood that. We, we see God as just kind of this, you know, um, father that we'll get to when we need him. If I need something, I'll call you. But he doesn't have our reverence, our respect. Uh, we, like so many young adults, tell their parents, we know everything. We'll tell you, God, how things are supposed to go. Just answer our prayers and everything will be fine. But we need both. So as we close today, let me tell you one more story. I've had the privilege of raising three amazing kids and I made it very clear growing up that uh, their mom and I were not to be trifled with. Uh, we loved them, but we were not going to just be disobeyed. There'd be consequences if you went against what we said. I told my son uh, early on as he started learning to play guitar that you could play the good guitar. This is the good guitar. We got bad guitars. This is the good one. Now, if you want to play the good one, that's fine, but you just got to be careful with it. You can't go outside the house. You can't do anything that would make, you know, a, a nick or anything like that. Um, you just got to be careful with it. Well, one night, my son Ben, 14, 15 years old, decides, you know, uh, that's usually the rule, but I'm going to be really careful. And so all he had to do was take this guitar and the strap off of his body and walk across the street to figure out the job he was going to do for our neighbor the next day. But he decided, I'm just going to walk. And so he walks all the way across the street with this on his, on his carcass. <laughs> and as he's... As he's walking back, it had just rained slightly, you know, like it does at six o'clock every night in the spring. And the, the pavement was apparently slick and his sandals slipped and Ben flipped this guitar over and landed on it with his stomach and he knocked the entire back panel of this guitar completely into the guitar. That's bad, just so you know, if you're not familiar with guitars, it's not gonna work right after that. Immediately starts screaming. Because he's, he's been very clear, uh, as we've told him, that this is wrong. If you do something wrong in our house, there's consequences. And so he immediately goes to the powerful side of his dad's nature and fears for his life. Actually runs to the front door. I thought he had been hit by a car because I could hear his screaming from inside the house. And so we met at the front door. And as I swing the door open, he's screaming and crying and freaking out. And he's like, Dad, you're going to kill me! And he just slips over the guitar and he shows me that it's busted out from the backside in. Perhaps what I hadn't been really great at is making sure that Ben knows that I love him way more than my guitar. And that we can fix guitars, but I cherish him. So in that moment, I didn't punish him yet. <laughs> but I took him into my arms and I said, oh, bro, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. We're going to talk about this. But are you okay? I love you. This is going to be all right. See, Ben knew that he should rightly revere his father. But I wanted Ben to know that when stuff happens, and this is what you and I need to believe, certainly our God is powerful. Let's bank on that that he's able to get us out of the pickles we find ourselves in. Amen? 
But don't, don't miss this either, that when we get into the mess, it shouldn't just be, oh, I've sinned, I've blown it. My father is going to kill me. We should respect him, but understand this. Oh, I've blown it. I need to find my father because he loves me. Come back next week. We'll talk more about the things that we believe. Can I pray for us? God, thanks for your word, your truth. And as we walk through it uh, over these next weeks and uh, understand the majors as, uh, as we're meant to, I pray that we'd set aside any of the false ideas that we've had, any of the things that we've bubbled up the major level that need not be there. Help us, God, to unite around, or to unite around the things that we uh, hold fast to. Help us to believe beyond just mental assent and even you know, um, shallow conviction. Help us to go all in with you in whatever we're facing in life, knowing that you're our Father, you're almighty, but you're our Father and you love us. As the creator of heavens and earth, uh, the heavens and the earth, we can count on you to create for us a way. Uh, Thanks for those assurances. Um, Lead us, God, into truth in this life, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.